Well, good morning. Glad to see you here today. Uh, I, I noticed uh, one of the benefits of the weather is uh, at this hour, just a few minutes ago, there were still donut holes left in the fellowship hall. They're usually gone before the second service even starts or early into it. So just just a word to the wise. Um, as, as you know, this is the, the end of the first week of the community Bible experience. And as Wes said earlier in the announcements, uh, we're committing to read through the New Testament together. Um, I'm excited about this. Uh, I really, truly believe that God's word uh, will accomplish something in our lives as individuals, as well as a church. I know over the years, as I've uh, memorized certain scripture passages, God has brought them to mind and used them in my life, whether I feel tempted by something. Uh, I, I quote a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Or whether I feel guilty, I've missed a mark, and I confess my sin according to 1 John 1, 9. If I doubt my identity, I look at 1 John chapter 3, and so on and so forth. If I feel condemned, I look at Romans chapter 8. There's a variety of, of verses that I lean upon, and I truly believe that God will use verses and, and stories and chapters in your life as you read through the New Testament with us these next several weeks. Well, today um, we, uh, we're looking at the, the story in Luke chapter 8. But before we get to that, just a few words about the, the gospel according to Luke. That's the, the book that we read this past week. And uh, as you probably know, there are four gospels in the New Testament. And gospel means uh, good news. That's what it literally means, good news. The good news of, of Jesus Christ, uh, the way of salvation and eternal life. Uh, and um, there are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you read through them in these next several weeks, you'll notice that there's a, quite a bit of overlap. There's a lot of overlap uh, in, in the stories. They're consistent in what they teach about Jesus and the way of salvation, about God's love and plan, uh, and so on and so forth. But as you read through them, you'll also notice that there are, are some differences. Not all the stories you'll find in Luke, for instance, uh, or parables you find in Luke, will you find in, in Mark or, or John or Matthew, uh, you'll notice that there are different themes or emphases in the different Gospels. For example, in the, uh, the Gospel of John, he really focuses on Jesus as the Son of God. He teaches that Jesus became flesh, the incarnation, fully man, fully God, but he focuses more on the Son of God. In Luke, though, on the other hand, again, he teaches the incarnation, fully God, fully human, but he tends to emphasize more Jesus as the son of man. And you'll see this in different gospels. Matthew, for example, teaches, is written, and it really emphasizes, emphasizes Jesus as the Messiah. So there are different gospel emphases. And it makes sense because God inspired each gospel to be written by a different man with a different background, a different personality, and in some cases, different interactions personally with Jesus Christ, different things they would have observed or, or heard. So the gospel, according to Luke, which we read this past week, was written by Luke, obviously. And what we know about Luke was he was a physician and he was a Gentile or a, a non-Jew. And now if the doctor, if the author is a doctor and he's a non-Jew, a Gentile, what differences would you expect to see from the other three gospels, which were written by Jewish men? Well, you may have noticed that as you read through Luke, that there are a lot of miracles a lot of healings. These happened in the other Gospels. A lot of them are recorded in the other Gospels. But there seemed to be a preponderance of them in Luke, which would make sense because Luke's a doctor. All right? Uh, in Luke, you also see an emphasis with Jesus interacting with other Gentiles and societal outcasts, which, again, would make sense because he himself was a Gentile. He would have been uh, 
set apart from the Jewish people and seen as as less than. And, and in Luke, we find many, many parables that Jesus used to teach the disciples and the crowd that followed him. And it's one of Jesus' parables that we're going to be looking at today, uh, which was just read. And I chose this parable because it, it teaches us about God's word. And we're doing the community Bible experience. And specifically, it teaches us about how we are to respond or to receive God's word. So this parable, it's known by a couple of names, the parable of the sower or the parable of the, of the soils, the four soils. And it's a familiar story. And it's one that we as, as Kansans or Midwesterners probably grasp pretty quickly. Some of the other parables, you read them and think, OK, you have to think about it. You have to look at it. You have to look up study notes and a few things. But this one's pretty straightforward. And uh, even if we miss it at first reading in the second part, Jesus gives us a very clear explanation of what the parable means in verses 11 through 15. The disciples come to him and obviously they weren't quite getting it. So he pulls them aside from the crowd and says, this is what it means. And Jesus says, people can receive God's word with a soft heart, which I guess we could think of as fertile soil. You know, the best soil, uh, maybe down by a riverbed. Or um, he says you can receive it, God's word with a hard heart. Uh, maybe we think of hard packed soil like clay. You just It's hard to get anything to grow. Uh, he says you, people can receive God's word with a with a distracted heart, uh, which we'd call weed infested soil. And he says people can receive God's word with a with a fickle heart, which we would think of as shallow soil, just not much topsoil. It can't really get much going there. Not very fertile. And so Jesus tells us this parable to to ask us to to think through and reflect upon our own lives. How do we respond to God's word? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they cannot believe and be saved. Now, why does the devil want to take away God's word from their hearts? Well, it's pretty obvious because the word of God changes lives because the word of God teaches us the way of salvation. And Satan obviously doesn't want that to happen. And so he tries to snatch away the word that is planted in our hearts. The word of God is powerful. It reveals the way of salvation. It renews minds, it's spirit and life. It changes lives. And Satan does not want that to happen. He wants us to remain hard hearted, unchanged, ineffective, distracted, unproductive. But if we receive God's word with a soft and open heart, it will change our lives. Now, I want to make something clear about understanding the word of God. Sometimes people read the word and and they think, I don't quite get it. I understand this. And, and there are parts that we need to study deeper. Other parts are more obvious right away. But understanding the word of God is not like trying to understand quantum physics. It's not above the average person. It's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of of posture, a matter of posture and openness and receptivity to God's word. Yes, we are to study. Yes, we are to discuss. Yes, we are to pray for God's leading and spirit to guide us. But it's not a matter of intellect primarily. It's a matter of our posture and our openness, our receptivity to God and his word. So when we come to God's word, we have a choice to make. Will we just simply be hearers? Or will we be doers? 
Will we open and receptive or will we choose not to listen and apply? You see this sometimes. That's why two people can live in the same community, go to the same church, hear the same sermons, go to the same Sunday school lessons, study the same scripture in Sunday school. And one person is is radically changed and transformed. They're more generous of spirit. They're more sacrificial. They're more selfless. The relationships with their spouse and children and neighbors are markedly different. Their witness for Christ is brighter. There seems to be greater fruit in peace and perspective in their lives. Whereas another person in the same church with the same lessons, the same sermons, the same exposure to God's word can live their life in a way that's not much different than those who don't believe. The difference is the posture, the receptivity, the openness to God's truth and God's word. There's a a story about John Wesley, the great 18th century preacher who spent his life riding on horseback, uh, teaching the gospel throughout the U.S. and and England. Uh, And one night he was riding through the countryside and a man stopped him and demanded his money. Wesley gave him the money he had. And as the man turned to make his getaway, Wesley said, I wait a second. I have one more thing that I I would like to give you. He said, my friend, the word of God tells us that you may live to regret this sort of life. And if you ever do remember that the word of God says that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you of your sin and forgive you. The robber ran away into the night and Wesley continued his journey. Years later, at the close of a Sunday evening service, a stranger stepped forward and asked to speak to Wesley. And Wesley was surprised to realize that the man, the stranger, was the same man who had robbed him years before. The man was no longer a thief. In fact, he was a successful businessman and it was a committed believer in a local church. He told Wesley how that that short reminder from God's word had, had taken root in his heart and later on had led to his conversion in a changed life. A simple word from God's message, God's Bible. The man heard it and he received it. It took root and it changed his life. Secondly, if we let God's word take root in our lives, we'll find the strength and the wisdom to handle uh, our problems. Jesus said this in verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You know, as a pastor for the last 25 years or so in a couple different churches, I've done funerals for both Christian and non-Christian families. And let me tell you, there's a remarkable difference in the way that they handle and deal with death and loss. I've been in hospital rooms with with Christian and non-Christian as as a person and family has, has battled terminal cancer. And there's a marked difference in the way they handle that illness. You, you name the problem, and I've probably known it and seen it in Christian and non-Christian lives. Divorce, death, rebellious children, sickness, loneliness, poverty, failure. And there's a marked difference in the way that those two different groups face problems. The difference is the word of God has grounded them and gives them perspective and gives them strength to persevere, to, to understand that this world is, is simply temporary and that if they persevere, uh, that they will be rewarded. 
You know, the, the word of God never promises, of course, that we will go through this life without problems. Jesus himself said that in this world will be many problems for us, but not to be afraid because he's overcome the world. But God's word does promise that we can live and thrive through our problems and that our problems can be redeemed and we can grow and make a difference in our life, but not only ours, but also others. If we live according to the principles of God's truth, his word. Listen to what the Apostle Paul or Apostle Peter's words are in chapter four, verse 12 through 13 of his letter, his first letter. Dear friends, he writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, you'll have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it's displayed to all the world. If we let God's word take root in our life, we will find the strength and the wisdom, the perspective to deal with the problems that come inevitably our way. And we allow it to take root by how? Through repetition, by, through study, through memorization, through listening, through meditating on it, by applying it. Thirdly, if we make God's word a priority in our lives, it will help us to keep our other priorities straight. Jesus said this in verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So Jesus says, these people hear God's word, they accept it, they say, yes, it's true, it's from you, it's of you. But over a period of time, other things come in and begin to to become more important, to choke out God's word. Things like perhaps money or possessions or career, um, a nice home, a boat, television, even great things, good things like family relationships, And so on and so forth. And those things, Jesus says, become more important and they begin to choke out and crowd out the word of God in their life. There's an interesting statistic out uh, with the Barna Research Group uh, that says that only four out of ten people who claim to be Christian would also claim that they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. One positive thing, I guess, is that at least six or being honest about it, but it's a sad and and true statistic. If we're not absolutely committed to Christ, you see, and applying his word, we, we will not experience the fullness of life with him. Jim Dennison, pastor of a Baptist church in Texas, tells a story of when he was in college. He was on a mission trip to East Malaysia, and he was at a small church, and during one of the worship services, a young woman came forward to be baptized and to announce her decision to follow Christ. And in the same service, Dennison noticed some worn out luggage leaning against the wall and he asked about it. And the pastor of the small church pointed to the girl and said, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage. She understood, despite the sacrifice and the hard decisions she had to make, what is supposed to come first in life. Our relationship with God which is grounded and founded and includes hearing and obeying his word. It must come first. Fourth, if we live according to God's word, God will work in us and through us to produce a harvest for him in his kingdom. 
Jesus said in verse 15, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. You see, success and productivity in the spiritual life is determined by commitment. It's determined by, by obedience, by the willingness to put God's word to work in our life, to apply to every area of our life and not engage in selective listening. And those who do, Jesus says, will produce a harvest that will make a difference in that person's life, but also in the world for his kingdom. So even if you're just a struggling business person or you're just a teacher or you're just a stay-at-home mom or you're just a retired person or just a volunteer youth leader, whatever you may be, if you allow, allow God's word to take a hold of your life, to take root in your life, God will work in you and through you to produce something beautiful and powerful for his kingdom. You'll make a difference in the world in which you live. Jesus told us this parable for two primary reasons. One, that we would understand the danger and the temptation of neglecting God's word. But also the benefits of applying God's word to our lives. Jesus says if we neglect God's word, we'll become hard-hearted. Our hearts will not be changed. Our problems will at times overwhelm us. Our priorities will be out of whack. And our lives will be unproductive. But, Jesus says, if we seek to understand his word, if we seek to apply it and hear it and do it, it will change our life. We'll find strength and wisdom and perspective in the midst of our problems. It will help to keep our priorities in the right order. And amazingly, it will cause us to grow and through his word within us will produce great things for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we're grateful that your word is powerful. It's alive and active. It's given to us and for us so that we would know who you are, that we would know your truth, that we would have your commands and principles which guide us into obedience and joy and peace and love and fruitfulness for your kingdom. Lord, we we pray that as we look at your word over these next several weeks, as we read it together, that it would take root in our lives, that our hearts would be soft and open and receptive, that our posture would be one of not only hearing, but doing your word. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.